Amen. You may be seated. That last verse. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. It's hard to even express the language that is that God's love is worthy of. But that hymn writer certainly made a noble attempt. Well, I'll ask you to turn with me in Ephesians, the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 1, continuing our studies there. Again, it is good to see each of you this morning, and just a welcome to you again in the Lord's name. <clears throat> Thankful to be here with you, and that we can behold such wondrous things out of the Word of God that we will look at today from Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, we'll begin reading from verse 1. Let us hear the Word of God. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Amen. We'll ask for the Lord's blessing upon us now, just briefly. Seek His face for His help. Our Father, we've come now to this sacred moment of the preaching of the Word of God, and we do ask, therefore, for great help, O Lord, for preacher and hearer alike. O God, we know our, our deficiencies. O Lord, we are not sufficient for what this task requires. And so, Lord, we ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit in each and every person here. Lord, I will not rightly preach unless you attend this by the Holy Spirit. And we will none of us will rightly hear except attended by the ministry of thy Spirit. And so, Lord, we confess our need and we plead with thee to meet our need as you have so promised. Lord, hear us, for we ask it in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, we're continuing our studies in Ephesians chapter 1 through the rest of the epistle. And we're just making our way. Last week we are in verse 3. And just a quick recap. That was a very pivotal verse in this epistle. It is setting us up for what Paul is going to go into over the next several verses. And it's crucial to, to see that, that that is basically like a heading 
in a way, and now he's going to dive in to all these various specific blessings. For in verse 3, he tells us we are blessed by God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That is, through our spiritual union with Jesus Christ. And then he begins in verse 4, where we will be today, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That is where we're going to focus today, just on that verse as we make our way through this epistle. And really, uh, we have come now to the fountainhead, as it were, of all the blessings that are to follow. God, through Paul, as he writes this in verse 4, is really pulling back the curtain, as it were. He, he's taking us back to before the foundation of the world, before time began. He's pulling back the curtain and he's revealing to us something we simply cannot fully comprehend. And in this verse, we are brought to the subject of election. According as he hath chosen us in him. This is a very deep uh, subject, and we're not going to exhaust everything about election today, but we're going to deal with it as it comes up in this text. And just to note that though there be much confusion about this subject, and though there be many who would hate this subject and would hate that the Bible teaches such a subject, but it does, a right study of this text which is what we will endeavor to do today, should produce an Ephesians 1-3 response. Keep this in mind as we go through all these blessings and as we look at this text today. Paul has said at the beginning of verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Paul is beholding the glory of God in light of this truth. And that is what we are to do today. A beholding of the absolute awesomeness of God should be the result of this text today. And so I want to speak to you, therefore, about chosen in Christ, the beginning of gospel blessings. Chosen in Christ, the beginning of gospel blessings. And the first thing I want you to note with me is the particulars of this choice. The particulars of this choice. For our text says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. There are several particulars brought out by Paul as we think about this subject. And the first thing we want to see here as we think about the particulars of this choice is that this choice was made by God the Father. This choice was made by God the Father. According as He hath chosen. He hath chosen. Well, who is He? Well, He points us back to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father who hath blessed us according as He hath chosen. So the subject is God the Father. And before we go any further, just to solidify our understanding of that word chosen, 
the word chosen that occurs in this text basically always has in view a specific selection out of another group. That word occurs in Mark 13, verse 20. Mark 13, verse 20, and this is one place it occurs. Our Lord Jesus giving his Olivet Discourse, speaking of the judgment that would come upon Jerusalem. And he says, And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. In other words, out of all the people that would face that judgment that was going to come upon Jerusalem, the Lord had elect there, whom he had chosen, and therefore he would shorten the days for their sake. Another place that it occurs is Luke 6.13. Very helpful in our understanding of what this word means. This is our Lord Jesus when he was choosing his twelve disciples as they would become apostles. And we read in Luke 6.13, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. That is, he called all his disciples to him. And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. So there was a group, and then the Lord Jesus makes a choice out of that group of who was to be his apostles. And that helps us as we think about this word chosen in verse 4. Because of the other particulars, we know that this is happening before the foundation of the world, and it is a choice made by God the Father. And what this is pointing us to is similar to what we discussed last week from verse 3 concerning the fact that before the foundation of the world, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit entered into a covenant together to save a portion of fallen sinners. And so what we see here, just briefly, as we think about this choice being made by God the Father, is that this was a sovereign decision of the Father in the covenant of redemption to select a specific people out of fallen humanity and give them to the Son. That is what we're being pointed to here. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Well, someone might say, well, well, where are you getting all that into this text? Well, it's very specifically in the text, but just to further bring this out, if you turn to John chapter 17, John 17, we're given clear evidence and direction for this understanding from John 17. Really verse 2, but we'll read from verse 1. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is Jesus, the Son of God, praying to the Father. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. As many as thou hast given him. Pointing us to the fact that the Father gave a specific people to the Son. And that same phrase will occur several times throughout John 17. We're not going to look at all of them, but there are many times the Lord Jesus relays this information as he prays in the hearing of his disciples. Those whom thou hast given me, those whom thou hast given me. 
And so, as we think about this, as I said, this is a difficult subject to wrap our minds around. But, the fact that this is what we're being pointed to, and the fact that this was a sovereign decision of the Father to save a select portion of fallen mankind, that necessarily implies that He chose to pass by others. These are solemn things that we are considering this morning. It means that he, he chose to not save all. To which the objection, no doubt you've heard or immediately can see, is that people will say, well, that is unfair. It, it is unfair that there was a select portion and that everyone was not saved. Chosen to be saved. To which a right response is that fair is everyone being left to suffer justly for their sin. That is fair. God owed no man anything. He owed you, he owed me, he owed no one else anything. He said to Adam and Eve in the garden, In the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so it is by grace alone that God chose to save some. Man, God is not at man's mercy. God reveals himself reveals what he has done and man humbly, reverently, lovingly is to submit and to bow before what God has revealed. It is very helpful, the statements of our confession here, and I'll read them to you now just to be clear on what we're saying here and dealing with this subject. Because we're being pointed to the decree of God that took place before time began. And our Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3 and point 3 says, By the decree of God, for the manifestation of His glory, some men and angels are predestined unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. And then a clarifier is section 7. What does that mean? This is what it means. The rest of mankind, God was pleased according to the unsearchable counsel of His own will. Mark that word, unsearchable counsel of His own will, whereby He extendeth or withholdeth mercy as He pleaseth for the glory of His sovereign power over His creatures to pass by and to ordain them to dishonor and wrath, key word, for their sin, to the praise of the glory of His justice. For their sin. In other words, it's not just an arbitrary decision that God made before the foundation of the world. When He chose a select people to save them, He did not just choose to save some and choose to damn others. 
So don't, don't conclude that. Everyone was under sin. Everyone was guilty before God. And yet in His grace and in His mercy, He chooses to save some. The others, He just passes by according to the unsearchable counsel of His own will, to His glory, for their sin. And so the words of our brother Charles Spurgeon are appropriate here. Salvation is all of grace, and damnation is all of sin. You, every time we, we deal with this subject, or every time you, you come across this in your reading of the Scriptures... And if you're reading the Scriptures, you will come across it. If you are studying the Word of God, you cannot get away from this subject. Every time we come to this, it is always important to remember that God has revealed, and so it is true, that He is sovereign in salvation, and man is completely responsible for his condemnation. And so, as we think about this subject, you must keep that in view. This choice was made by God the Father. This is the beginning of blessings. You are blessed. You, you wonder why you are blessed in Christ. Why, why was I made to hear thy voice? And enter while there's room. When thousands make a wretched choice. And rather starve than come. You are blessed because you are chosen to be blessed. This choice was made by God the Father. But also this choice was made concerning us. Note what Paul says. This choice was made concerning us. For he says, according as he hath chosen us. According as He hath chosen us. Now now marvel at that little word, us. It is a little word full of huge significance. And it calls our attention to several things. First and foremost, it calls our attention to the grace of God. It calls our attention to the grace of God. The same people, like we were talking about last week, as He said, He hath blessed us. According as He hath chosen us, the same people that He later describes in chapter 2, the people who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were spiritually dead, walking according to the course of this world. Ephesians 2.2 2. Living in obedience to the devil. Living as a child of wrath. These are the people He's referring to and He says He hath chosen us. He hath chosen us. In other words, as you think about these people, these, this word us, you nor I, if you are here and you know Christ, let me, let me qualify this, if you know the Lord, if you are sure, if you know the Lord, if you have embraced Christ, you will not embrace Him except, except you are a part of this number. But you nor I furnished any motive in ourselves for God to make this choice. Amen. You think about who is writing this. Paul is writing this. And he says, us. And you think about where Paul was when the Lord saved him. 
We've talked about this various times the past number of weeks, but I bring it up again here because it is relevant. On the road to Damascus, on his way to slaughter Christians, and God saw all of that before the foundation of the world, knew all that Paul would ever do, and yet, in his grace, had chosen Paul to be saved. It calls our attention to the grace of God. It also calls our attention to the unity of the church. For Paul says, us. He doesn't use the word you to speak to individuals, although that is implied and included. And he doesn't just say me, according as he hath chosen me. He says, according as he hath chosen us. And and this theme is all through Ephesians, the unity of the church of Jesus Christ. Those whom He has chosen unto salvation, who is brought into fellowship with Himself. That is what Paul is calling us to see here, the unity of the church. So it is a collective word and yet it implies individuals. And so though you can see how it is true generally of all true Christians, You can rightly think of it concerning yourself and the grace of God in your life that brought you out of darkness and into Christ. And did also, in that very way, calls us to adoration of this truth, not explanation of this truth. What I mean is, this doctrine is not calling you to to go and try and plumb the depths of the mind of God in in before time and and try to figure out everything that this entails. That's not your, your role. You're not God. What it calls you to is adoration. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It also reveals to us and calls our attention to the fact that Christians can have assurance of their salvation. Christians Christians can have assurance of their salvation. Paul could have been vague. He he could have wrote in such a way as to to not uh, lead anyone to, to, to think they're elect when they're not, but yet he says there's an assumption in his language of these people and of himself. He says, according as he hath chosen us. What is he doing there? He's drawing our attention to see that that assurance of salvation is a right thing. That it is right for the Christian to know that I'm saved. Because the question inevitably comes, inevitably comes, well, how do I know that I'm elect? But that's the wrong question. The question is not, am I elect? The question is, Will I repent and believe the gospel? God never calls you to examine to see whether you're elect. He calls you to repent and believe the gospel. Jesus begins His ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the call. And so the evidence of your election is whether or not you have or are willing to embrace Christ. That's what Paul says to the Thessalonians. He says to them in chapter 1 of that epistle, in verse 4, he says, knowing 
Your election of God. Well, how did He know? Because the Gospel came unto them not in word only, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, and they received the Word. And so I call each of us here today, each and every one of you, don't sit there today being in doubt about whether I'm elect or not. Embrace Christ. Lay hold of the promise of God. Don't, don't, don't follow the, the lie of the devil and, and sit there thinking, well, I can't, I, I must not be elect. No, that's the wrong road. And you need to get off of it. If that's you this morning or if that's you listening on, that is not what this doctrine is supposed to do. And so many wrongly conclude that. Embrace Christ. Hear the gospel call that God gives to each and every sinner. It's a sincere call. Repent and believe the gospel. So it is not presumptuous to be assured of your salvation in Christ. And there are some who would say that it is. There were some who would say, if you say that, that's presumption. That's, that's sin for you to presume that you're saved. And yet the Bible is full of assurance for God's people to know that you're saved. Amen. And so this bears repeating over and over in light of the errors concerning this in our day. It reveals to us that Christians can have assurance of their salvation according as He hath chosen us. But also, as we continue to think about the particulars of this choice, this choice was made concerning us in Christ. Us in Christ. It is not just you by yourself. It is us in Him. Who is the Him referred to in verse 4? That points us again back to verse 3. As we are told in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him. So the Him is Christ. And so this choice was made concerning us in Christ. What this is drawing our attention to here is it concerns your connection to Christ based on the decision of the Father. That's what it's pointing us to here. It is drawing a distinction here. There is a distinction in, in how we may sometimes use the word union. And I want to deal with that here as it comes up in the text. According as He hath chosen us in Him. That in Him is referring to your, your connection with Christ before time. In other words, the elect... The chosen have always been connected to Christ from before the foundation of the world. Since the decision was made, they've been connected to Him. Why do we say that? Because there's always been a definite number of people in view when Christ came to save. Matthew one twenty one: Thou shalt call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And as we read in John 17.2, Those whom Thou hast given Me. And so there's always been a connection. But, to draw this distinction and, and just make it clear for all of us, they have always been connected to Christ. 
And yet, the elect are vitally and spiritually united to Christ in time. That happens in time. This is not saying that you have been vitally, spiritually united to Christ from before the foundation of the world. Why is that important? Why am I taking the time to say that? Because you were born in Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.22 As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans 5.12 tells us, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That is, sinned in Adam. And so you sinned in Adam. And so... What we are doing here is we're, we're, we're guarding ourselves from misunderstanding what this text is saying. Your, your spiritual, your vital union with Christ happens in time. But the Father chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. Amen. Connected you to Him. This, this has to be the case as you read this because of the statements that elsewhere we read in the Scriptures, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If he's in Christ, he's a new creature. Ephesians 2.1 says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.13, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So there's a, there's a before that took place. But now in Christ. In verse 12 it says that at that time ye were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And so I, I take the time to draw that distinction. Because it's important for your understanding of, of what that actually means. Chosen in Him. So it concerns your connection to Christ. From before the foundation of the world. Not your vital Spiritual union. But also, it comprehends every aspect of Christ's mission concerning you. This is very important. If you don't get anything else from the message today, please hear this point. That as the Father chose us in Him, that decision comprehended every aspect of Christ's mission concerning you. It comprehended His person. It comprehended His work. It comprehended the timing of it all. In other words, as as God chose you to be in Him, chose you in Him, He chose everything that was necessary in order for you to be brought to salvation through Christ. And so in this, in this covenant, the, the Son of God, He takes on all that was necessary concerning His person. He, he takes it upon Himself to, to in, be incarnated, to, to take on flesh, and, and to live as a man in this world, and to undergo the sufferings of this life. He took upon Him all the work that there was for Him to do in His obedience to the law, and, and fulfilling the law in the place of His people. And all the suffering, every, every part of suffering that he was to endure to satisfy the just wrath of God upon your sin, all of it is in view here before the foundation of the world. John 
18.4 helps us in understanding just, just the extent of which our Lord knew this. John 18.4, Jesus is preparing to, to, be cap, to be captured by the soldiers. And He says in verse 4, John writes, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Knowing all that should come upon Him, went forth. And so at that point, He knew everything that was about to take place uh, in His sufferings on the cross, and yet He goes forth for the salvation of His people. And before the foundation of the world, as He, as he looks to coming into the world, He knows everything that He's going to endure. And then the timing of it all. This, is, this decision is made before the foundation of the world, but then it takes place in time and it takes place according to God's perfect timing. In the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son. In other words, everything was culminating to that moment. We'll say more about that in a minute. But this is the point. The Father's decision to bless you was a decision to curse Christ. Think about that. I can hardly say those words. That before the foundation of the world, as, as God chose you in Him, at the same time, that, that decision is a decision to curse the only begotten Son of God. For it was the only way to redeem you from your fallen state that Christ would become a curse for us. It comprehends every aspect of Christ's mission concerning you. So it was made concerning us in Christ. And this choice was made before time began. This is the last particular. This choice was made before time began, before the foundation of the world. Why do we say before time began? Because that language before the foundation of the world is pointing us to the fact that prior it's prior to the creation of the earth, prior to the creation of the world, the universe. So it's before time because we know Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why is that important to draw a focus there? At least two things we should take from this language. First, the centrality of God's plan of redemption to all of history. This is the decision we're, we're brought to consider here before the foundation of the world that God made this decision. That shows us that this is central to all of human history. Go back to Galatians 4 in your mind. In the fullness of the time, God sent forth His Son. In other words, everything had been prepared for the coming of Christ and for His ministry on the earth and for all that would happen after His ministry. God, in His sovereign purpose, had prepared everything. And there are so many details to think about concerning that. The Roman roads that, that enabled travel to be so much easier in those days so that the gospel could go around to, to all those various areas when Christ gives His commission, go forth into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
in, in, in the, the crucifixion process that was going on at that time in Rome. All, all of that is under the sovereign purpose of God so that it was in the fullness of the time. In other words, everything, everything in history culminates toward this end. How do we mark our calendars? Though some are trying to do away with that, we mark them according to the time of the death and resurrection of our Lord. All of history is, is culminating in God's glory in the salvation of His people through Christ. The centrality, but also the certainty of God's purpose being accomplished. That's what this points us to. Before the foundation of the world, the certainty of God's sovereign purpose being accomplished in everything. Everything. The universe, this, this earth, everything that goes on, your life, everything. God makes this decision before the foundation of the world and, and He brings it to pass sovereignly. There can be nothing and there will be nothing that will ever frustrate His purpose in the salvation of His people in the events of this world. And I know that's hard to understand. We look around and we say, well, well what, is, what is going on here? And again, we cast ourselves upon the Word of God. All things work together for good to them that are the called, to them that love God. So it is the certainty of His sovereign purpose. We'll get to more significance of that in a moment. The second thing I want you to consider here as we near the end of our text not only the particulars of this choice, but the purpose of this choice. The purpose of this choice. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Amen. That we should be holy without blame before Him in love. The first thing here is that its purpose was our holiness before God the Father. Its purpose was our holiness before God the Father. Chosen in Him that we should be holy. Now that points us to, to several things to consider here. That word holiness, or word holy rather in our text. It, it means sacred, pure, consecrated. It has various uses in the Bible, various uses in the New Testament. And yet it's the same word that occurs in verse 1. To the saints. That we should be holy. Same word. Saints, holy. What this is pointing us to is objective holiness. Not subjective. And what I mean is that your objective holiness is, is what Christ has made you in Him. What He has earned for you before God the Father. Your subjective holiness is, is how you seek to reflect that in your life. How you seek to obey God. How you seek to be consecrated to Him in your life. And so, though the former, objective holiness, will never be without the latter, as James tells us, faith without works is dead. Someone who is genuinely saved and made holy by Christ will not fail to show some measure of that in their life. But the reason I say it's objective holiness and not subjective, because some do take it that way, 
is that your subjective holiness is not the ground of your adoption. And verse 5 shows us that this, this election, this choosing us in Him, this holiness that we get from Christ is unto adoption. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. So that's why it's objective. It's objective holiness. It is purity before the Lord. It is pointing us to that reality that is God the Father looks on you in union with Christ. He sees you as perfectly holy, perfectly pure from sin because of your union with Christ. You, you, this word before has the idea of directly in front of. In other words, in the presence of God. This is where He's brought us. In the presence of God, we should be holy and without blame before Him. Him, again, being a reference to the Father. Amen. And so, what, what is this verse for us then? It, it is assurance, brothers and sisters. It is assurance that you are holy before God. That's what we're being pointed to. He's chosen us in Him that we should be holy. Well, if, if it's God's decision, and, and we've seen that, that His purpose cannot be frustrated, then all those that are the chosen in Him will be holy before Him. And so it's assurance that you are holy, but also any time we're brought to consider that and the, the benefits of the gospel... It's also, at the same time, a call to reflect what you are. It's a call to reflect what you are. Paul uses the same word in Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so it's not, your, your objective holiness is not devoid of subjective, it, but it calls you to it. It's not the ground. And so, its purpose was your holiness before God the Father. But also, its purpose was your blamelessness before God the Father. We should be holy and without blame before Him. Without blame. What does that mean? It means without blame. It means blemished, unblemished, without spot without anything on you that, that is marring. That's how God views you in connection with Christ, in vital union with Christ. Again, I, 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 it is objective blamelessness, not subjective. Though again, it's never alone, but it's unto adoption. And so, so it can't be your subjective blamelessness. It is blamelessness in the sense of of Christ being the spotless Lamb of God and you being given His righteousness. To further this, you see how this word is used in other places such as Colossians. Colossians 1.22 In the body of His flesh, that is Christ, through, his, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Catch all that through death to present you holy and unblameable. Same word, unblameable. So that's, that's now. 
You are unblameable now before Him based on your union with Christ. But also, what does Jude tell us in Jude verse 24? Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. Not only are you now blameless, but you are going, if you know, if you are in Christ, if you are His, if, if He will make you His, you will be kept from falling and presented faultless Amen. before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. So that's future. Now and future. And then eternally. This is going to be true eternally. For this same word occurs in Revelation 14.5. Concerning the, the multitude in heaven. And in their mouth was found no guile. For they are without fault before the throne of God. Referring to, to those who are going to be in heaven. They're going to be without fault before the throne of God. So you're now blameless. And in the future you're going to be, you're going to be kept blameless. And then you're going to be made blameless in the sense that you'll be free from sin for all eternity. Amen. Because God has so chosen you to be. Amen. And so this is assurance that you are blameless. But again, it's a call to reflect in your life now what Christ has purchased for you. And that's a challenge to us. I know. Paul tells... Though he uses different words, they're not the same words, but Paul tells the elders and the deacons that they're to be blameless. Amen. Different words. The, the word blameless there has the idea of being reasonably free from accusation. You're not able to be accused. Uh, but it's a reflection. Your character of what you have in Christ. Paul tells us in Hebrews 13, without Holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's a very serious thing. That's talking about your subjective. The final thing is its purpose was to display the Father's love for us. That's what this is all coming to. To display the Father's love. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. I want to be brief here but at the same time this this is what it all comes down to brothers and sisters the father chose you out of love to the praise of the glory of his grace according to his good pleasure after the counsel of his own will and so the ultimate purpose of the gospel is the glory of God we come to that in verse 6 we'll come to that in a couple weeks He's chosen us to the praise of the glory of His grace. So, what do we learn from that? The gospel is, is God-centered, not man-centered. As so many will wrongly assume today, and so many preach it that way, that it's, it's man-centered. It's not. It's God-centered. But, the gospel centers on God's glory revealed by God's love for His chosen. John 3.16 God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. 
His glory in the gospel revealed by His love for His chosen. What are our, our standards are helpful here? They ask the question, Doth God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? God doth not leave all men to perish in the estate of sin and misery into which they fell by the breach of the first covenant. But of His mere love and mercy, note that, of His mere love and mercy delivereth His elect out of it and bringeth them into an estate of salvation by the second covenant made with Christ and all His elect in Him. Brothers and sisters, this is the first blessing from which all others flow. All the things that we will look at in the coming weeks, they're all, they're all flowing to you because God, out of His mere love of God, constant, continual adoration, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before we close, it should produce in us Two other things. Confidence. Confidence in life and in evangelism. Some will come to such a doctrine like this and it's glorious and it's beautiful and they will wrongly conclude, well, if that's true, then there's no reason to preach the gospel. If that's true, there's no reason to evangelize and nothing could be further from the truth. This being true, there's every reason to preach the gospel. And there's every reason to go after lost souls. Because God has revealed that He's a God of means. And He uses the means of preaching the gospel to all His creatures to call out His chosen. To call out those who He gives ears to hear and eyes to see. And so never conclude that. In fact, if this wasn't true, as it's been said by others... I don't know how you could go and evangelize if it was left up to man. Man left to himself will never choose God. There is none righteous. There is none that seeketh after God. Romans 3, 11, 10 and 11. If, if man left to himself, there's no hope. But this, brothers and sisters, this should just drive us to, to speak to everyone we can. Knowing that God is sovereign in it all. And, is, and is, we are so privileged. He could have used angels to preach His gospel. They can be all kinds of places so fast and they, they carry His messages and there's no disobedience at all. There's no failure at all. And yet He chooses such vessels like us. What a privilege. What condescension. But it's also confidence in your life. Don't miss it. The fact that you are chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, as we talked about the, the, the centrality of God's purpose and the certainty of it, that applies to all of your life. It applies to everything. And that again, that's hard to understand. But it's necessary it's necessary because if you don't see that, you'll become hopeless. He's in control. He's on the throne. But also not, not just confidence in those areas, but humility. Humility.
before God and before men. Christians have absolutely nothing to boast in but the cross of Jesus Christ. And let us never forget that. God has not chosen us for anything in us. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation, as has been said, is the sin that makes it necessary. So be always humility before God. Humility before men. Because of this truth in all of our interactions with each other. There, there's no elevation in any of us. There should never be this sense of, well, I'm chosen. No, it's, it's, how could it be that I'm chosen? How could that be? I leave these things with you, brothers and sisters. We, we close with these things because this, at least are some of the applications of this doctrine to your life. And like I said, above all, Verse 3, every day, every single day that you live, blessed be God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just stand back and marvel. We marvel at Your mercy. Marvel at Your grace. Your love for Thy people before the foundation of the world. Lord, we submit ourselves to Thee and thank Thee for what You have said to us today. And pray that You will help us to go forth properly applying this Word to our lives. Oh God, how we could be so wicked and slothful in evangelism because of this doctrine. Thinking that we're, we're right in how we're applying it. And yet it's so wrong, Lord. And so many people fall into that trap, Lord. God, help us. Lord, help us to never wrongly apply the sovereignty of God. Please, Lord, bless each one here with a heart to adore Thee today. Give us all matter for praise, more matter for praise. Lord, we have so much. And Lord, if there's anyone here or anyone watching online, please, God, work in their hearts and bring them to Christ. Lord, don't let them sit, don't let them sit here or listen online or whenever they will listen. Don't let them hear this and concoct some lie for themselves or listen to the lie of the devil. Stir their hearts, Lord, to just obey what you have told them to do, which is to come unto me. Lord, thou hast promised thou wilt not cast them out. Thou hast said, Lord, all that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh I will in no wise cast out. Amen. Lord, we thank Thee that they will come, but yet You've said they must come. Please, Lord, hear our prayers. Receive our thanks. Save the lost. In Jesus' name, Amen.